and so we're going to have a time of um, uh, just interaction, and anybody is welcome to ask a question, and you know what? Anybody's welcome to answer it. We'll let these guys up here have the first shot at it, but if you've got a thought on that question or something to say about that, then feel free to do that, okay? So we've heard some topics, but you may have other things, and really, the goal of this, I, I hope, well, I guess it can go wherever, wherever you we want it to go, but really figuring out practical ways to walk things out is what we hope we all leave with. So, um, uh, and I don't know, I mean, Pat or anybody here want to tease some stuff off? Do we just want to start with questions or? Okay. Okay. So who's got a question? I was just wondering, I, I, I want to not just say, how do you do it, but... Talk to me you about discipling your kids. Probably more as teenagerish. Thatchers, I appreciate what you shared, but how have you <clears throat> practically done that? Is that for somebody? Roger. <laughs> Very, uh, how have you practically discipled your children? I think one of the things that we've done is just to really stay involved with our kids. Um, that's one of the reasons why we got involved in leading the high school youth ministry, um, that we could kind of serve right alongside of them. Um, they get to see everything that we're doing. We get to see everything that they're doing. Um, we tried really hard not to make it weird. Um, um, there's... I think what Morgan was sharing this morning about having your kids come and share stuff with you, there's times where you really have to develop a really good poker face um, because they'll share some stuff with you and you're like, oh, mm -hmm, okay. <laughs> and then when they're out of sight, you can go around the corner and scream or whatever. <laughs> um, yes. But to be friends with them and just to... Um, walk your own faith in front of them um, is what I try really hard to do. Um, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in reading the Bible. Um, and my kids know where to find me every morning. And that's one way we practically um, disciple our kids. We get a couple practicals in our world is um, like, I agree, just doing life together, like church planting and the setup team is like your kids that helps you know so um but we we've been doing like uh weekly dates where we take one of the kids out each time and you just I'll, I'll take one and then morgan will take the next one and i'll and you know you can spend time just talking to them that way and obviously as with anyone you disciple you, you just kind of know well, it seems like god's working on this in their life um at the beginning of the year we did some things like we make these I've, we've made bookmarks just with a verse or a theme for the year for that child, and we'll be actively pursuing, you know, how's it going in that, how are you growing, and I think there's some, some ways we, we go about it that way as well. But. Um, we also have quiet times every morning, all the kids on their own and us on our own, and then at breakfast we share verses and share how it applies um, to our lives that day. And, you know, our eight-year-old is very sincere and genuine, but he reads his kid-sized Bible and shares a verse and up until um, the biggest. And they all get an unspoken 
which came from a joke, but recognizing that there's probably some personal things going on, and so they get one unspoken token a week that they don't have to share a verse, and they say, mine this morning is unspoken, so that's another thing we do. Oh. Um, I think one of the things that, and this is maybe speaking from an adjustment we would make, we're past that season, as we look at the outcome of our kids' lives, and I think one of the unintended consequences of being really strong in discipleship is what our kids can receive, I'm not saying they will, but they can receive, I'm, I'm getting a finger in the air, I'm good, now I've got a thumb, I'll go, um, the, uh, what, what, what it can feel like to them is you, you're handing me a religious system. Even though we can be friends, we can enjoy each other, we do a lot of things. So somehow, my, my answer, and maybe Nathan remembers this first, I, I keep promising I'm going to memorize it and I never do. Um, just this idea of telling the Lord how we're experiencing God. That it's a living relationship and not just more truths or instruction, but somehow telling the story of how God is interacting with you. How, how he's real, how you're seeing him work. So it becomes a living faith and not just, this is what God taught me to do. I did it. Aren't I awesome? You should do that too. Which I'm not, I'm saying, nobody's saying that. That's what they can hear. Yeah. I think the other thing is giving lots of room for questions. Um, when they are struggling with a particular issue or a big concept to, to make it safe to go, I don't know if I believe that, to, to not freak out and double down on, don't you know the truth? Don't you know the truth? Which is a part of it, for sure. I'm not, please do not hear me slide down how much we need the truth. It needs to pay really, really high. But they also need to know that as human beings, we struggle with what's true, what feels true, and give them space to, to wrestle those things through. and not Because can, it can be a personal, I'm failing, you're making me look bad. And not any of you would ever do that. I'm pretty sure they sense that's what my motivation was they couldn't be who they were because it would make me look bad. Um, and, and I never want them to have that message. Um, and so I, I think there's lots of relational things in that discipleship. I so appreciate um, what the uh, Thatchers were talking about in terms of friendship and, and, and not freaking out. You guys, but even more than that, big questions, not just things they're experiencing, but things they're, is this true? And, and then as always, I would just say, if you want to disciple your children to be connected to Jesus, so if you buy into my premise, there's three things we need to manage. Um, we're pretty good at helping them in the conforming to, to right behavior. We're, we're pretty high on that, I think, as a, as a group. We're going to make sure that happens. We're less, less successful at giving them a mission that's worth their life. We can talk about it conceptually and have a, have a great commission or you know, an evangelistic DTC once every four years, but in terms of living, I am a witness. Everything I am, I'm bearing testimony of the, the gospel. And I think I, I would, this just be my assessment. I don't mean to be harsh. I just think we're, we're not very good at being connected here in a way that they see and experience and are jealous of and go, man, I want to be like that. That's, that's better than what I see in Hollywood because I see it going through all the crap and you still love each other and you're still kind and you're, and, and so that connection, but also our vertical connection, um, are we putting that on display? Not God gave me this verse, but this is how I've experienced God today. This is a burden I had to cast on him today. And he, he met me there. Um, so the, that's, that's how I would assess it. Some of that is, we, we were, 
I don't know if we could have done any more or in terms of the visible fruit been any more effective at producing conformed kids. They did the right thing. Um, and that's where I would just slide those levers a little bit in, in that discipleship picture. What, is, what does it mean for them to be a disciple? Well, are they, are we pressing all those, those three C's? And we, we'll tend to default, I think, to just, as long as you're doing the right thing, whew, I feel good. I can relax. You're doing the right thing. You're making good choices. Okay, whew, we can relax. But that's only just a piece of what we're supposed to be handing them. Hey, everybody. Okay, question for you guys. In light of the messages that have been given this weekend, can you give a picture of what it looks like when you're dialoguing with your spouse, like practicals of what that means for your marriage in particular? Because, yeah, I think it's really cool, like the identity and, and like ways that for me to look towards God and myself with the messages. But I was just wondering if you guys had a picture of what that looks like as you're talking to your spouse or how you will talk to them. Tomorrow, or so the, if I uh, understand, let me rephrase it back to you. It's like kind of the along the teachings of our identity and things like that. How does that practically play into communication with our spouse? Making a plan. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna probably answer like half of that for. Um, <laughs> I think uh, maybe John meant, kind of mentioned this uh, when he was introducing, um, but it's kind of like in the moment when you're uh, planning stuff out with your spouse or if something comes up, it's like in the moment I need to believe the gospel at a, at a really deep level to be of any help. Uh, so I, I apologize if this doesn't quite hit where it's uh, supposed to go, but, um, you know, just in those little moments where you can make a really bad decision or make a good decision, uh, the more I tend to, like, understand who I am and who God is and my role with Courtney, um, that tends to kind of flavor the interaction and uh, help us to get toward a solution. So maybe maybe as a practical, we're we're planning out our week, or you know, we got a bunch of stuff to do and we're stressed out, and then maybe some tension starts to arise or whatever. There's like somewhere deep down, I know uh, who I am in Christ, that that by God's grace will keep me from saying something really dumb. And then we got to go into full conflict resolution mode while we're just trying to plan out our week. And, um, you know, we're trying to do, like, good things for God's kingdom and then keep it from devolving. <laughs> so um, in that aspect, I, I think I really appreciate kind of taking a, that high-level look at who we are as redeemed. Um, Courtney is redeemed in the, in the moment when I'm like, oh, I want you to understand this. She's a redeemed soul, and God has a plan. And it sort of just helps me to, like, pause and take a break. And Does that help a little bit, or is there any clarification or anything? Anyone else? I've probably got some thoughts. Um, some of you people are laughing at me. 
<laughs> yes, Travis has thoughts. It's weird. We'll be here till 6 p.m. tonight. Um, there's, there's like different levels you have to think about on that because uh, for me, there's just simple things like what time of day is it? You know, tonight, we will not do any of this discussion. I'm gonna, I guarantee that. We will not. If it's after, for us, if it's after about 7, it's like that's kind of, we'll connect, but it's more just like we're just connecting as us. Like we're friends, we're buddies, we're not going to go on any like philosophical tangents necessarily. Just simply because I know from our history, we're very different people, but I know from our history that those devolve into the all-night conflicts that are just not good for us. So pick your battles. You know, pick what time is better. If it's going to be something that's you feel like your spouse is maybe against you in a little bit, because that's another level to consider. Like, is this something that's going to possibly be con a conflict? You know, it'd probably be good to have some time set aside for it specifically. Like, don't, you know, step into a, a, a time where you're both going to head to work or whatever else. Like, give yourself some bandwidth and some space to do that. Um, one thing for me that I've come to really appreciate over the years, and I just advise everybody to think this way a little bit, we're, Sarah and I are exact opposites. Like, in pretty much every single way, except when you take those personality tests, right? There's the, the dominance factor on the personality test. And both of us are very, very high scoring on that. So where I'm intuitive, she's sensory. Where I'm you know, more feelings-oriented, she's more analytical. And just, we just always end up in different directions. And it caused a lot of conflict for us at the beginning when I'd just be like, hey, here's an idea, something I was thinking about. And she'd take it really personally and be very offended by it. Or vice versa, right? just because we're so different. And so for both of us, where we had to come to it, it took us years to get to this point, is realizing we are on the same team. Mm. We have the same objective. She's not against me. She's just different than me. Mm. And in the, in the process of understanding and trying to learn about those differences, what eventually just, I mean, it just floored me, is that as a teammate, with her thinking in opposite directions of me, we can now take on things that I could never take on alone. And so for us, it's, it's, it's like changed the entire pattern of how we even communicate. Because when she opens her mouth, I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to learn something. And it might put me on the defense to start with, at least emotionally, but I need to get myself over that because there's a whole lot I can glean from her. And then she's learned to do the, the same thing with me you know, in different directions. So where she'll lean towards analytical and organized, and I lean toward intuitive feelings, artsy stuff. And she's like, I need that in my life. And the, the same thing back and forth. So that's like, those are big general principles as opposed to like, how are you going to talk about these specific things? Um, and then for us, we just talk. We're just buddies. We like to talk. Our kids have a hard time getting a word in edgewise, and they're talkers too. So I don't know that I have a whole lot to share on that. Just pick your time so that you have enough time to do it. I hope that helps at all. Anybody else? I'd say one, one thing here. Um, I say amen to Travis and Sarah, and there, Morgan and I are two live wires, so we're, we gotta, there's not, one. yeah, there's it's one right. live wire, and it's right here, yeah, that's good. I would say for, you know, especially for your husband, uh, if you could just lay down the law on the way down the road here, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna work out great. <laughs> so, I, I've found that to work really well. Only never, you know. Um, 
But I, it's funny. I, I think there's a, when you start processing it, like individually, we've already started processing, and she's got things she feel like the Lord's put on her heart. I've got some things for me. And then there's the next step about what about us together. And, and I think like Travis was saying, we probably aren't going to talk about that tonight. And I also think about, you know, our poor kids when we get back. Usually when we get back from one of these things, it's like, kaboom. You know, they're like, what happened to my parents? They have all these thoughts for my life. And, <laughs> you know, it's uh, probably good to, you know, pray about them and process and figure out a good timing for that. But um, yeah. ease them in, yeah. But I, I think for me for sure is uh, I want to lead into this, and, and yet I can often do it in a way that's pretty strong, and, and I think she grew up in a world where she had a dad that was a really strong leader, and so she's already um, has thoughts about how that works and how that doesn't, and so I think you going to have to figure out how to, like Travis said, I totally agree, we do have the same goal, and God's given us two perspectives and, and you know, things to bring together on that, but it's... I wouldn't talk too much about it on the way home, maybe, if, if you're like us, you know. But anyways, that's a couple of my thoughts. Yeah, the, uh, and, and Cindy and I have gotten to the point where we feel like this is maybe our life message, so if, if it sounds repetitive. Um, um, that's not my good side. Wait a minute. That's better. Um, so if it sounds repetitive, but it really is pretty foundational the way we see the world. So if it has value to you, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. But I, I think whenever we ask any question about any subject, anytime, anywhere, I think there's a compelling gospel orientation that says, what are the interests of Christ? What is Jesus' goal right now? And it could be really solving that problem, or it could be letting your mate or your child know that they're safe, or that you hear them, or that you care. When, when we can slow down our interests and submit them, what are Christ's interests right now? I, I think that can begin to inform how we respond to one another. Because in those places where we see things differently, Cindy coins this a lot. I, th I think we saw it on a, a, a plaque at a, a retreat center somewhere. Um, you, can, you can be either one or you can be right. You, you can have one goal. That doesn't mean you have to give up pursuing what is right, but you have to decide which one is going to submit to the other, and, and you make different choices of how you communicate. And so the interests of Christ, universally, in a big blanket statement, is that we would be gospel proclaimers to one another. We would be reminding each other of your gospel identity, and that's not, okay, you, you've avoided hell. Not that part of the gospel. The part of being loved and delighted in and safe and secure and accepted. That part of the gospel. And, and so we model that when we, when we said that. What are Christ's interests? It would, that, that I would bear witness. I would reinforce the gospel identity of the people that I'm called to be with. And if that's what you're made at that time, that's job one. Because if you tell them what's right and you don't reinforce their gospel identity you're ultimately going to lose, if that makes sense. So, so the, some of those high-level attitudes, you're feeling amped up, deal with it first. Can you bear the gospel witness in those conversations? That's your responsibility. Don't step in. Maybe there's times of day where you know it's not going to go well. It's just harder to put on Christ. Well, don't use those time slots. It's good practical advice. 
But no matter when it is, or do you have the interests of Christ in mind? Even when you're talking about a budget or whatever it might be. All right, here's a tee-up question. So Pat kind of in his message delineated, once you get down to that flow chart of a disciple, and then at the end it's like different things for a female, different things for male, right, in that expression. So if you could say what's one super important aspect of being a disciple as men slash if you have sons that you're trying to build in, one super important thing as women slash if you have daughters that you're trying to build, open to anybody sharing what they think, the, the gender distinctions, uh, but just one thing. So, I have one thing, one thing I've done with my boys is I want them to take care of their mama, right? Yep. And they do. Yep. They do. I don't, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on specific examples. They bring in firewood. Their job every day is to make sure I'm warm. <laughs> so my boys bring in firewood all day long, and they stoke the fire. And they open doors for me, and they carry bags for me. And at night, they plug in my electric blanket for me. <laughs> they do. They do. Because, and they will flat out say, it is our job to take care of our mom and the women in our lives. And so, yeah, I appreciate it. Yep. After you. Age before beauty. <laughs> I'll just share really fast, too, because we have a daughter also. And, you know, she's like, as women, we all want to be strong and do stuff, too. We're not, we're not incapable of stuff. And she understands that. And so with her, I work with her on, like, no, as women, it's okay to know how to do things. But when we have men around who want to take care of us, that's okay, and we let them. So at the store, when the boys want to hold the door for her, and she's like, no, go, go, I can get the door. I'm like, no, you can let the men hold the door for you. That's part of being a woman. So that's something I do with her. I'll go. I think um, one of the recent things that I've been working with the girls on, obviously it's kind of changing on a like daily basis with teenagers, but I think one of the things that we've been working on together and me independently has been um, trying to help them understand that their dad is in their life for a reason and for a purpose, and he brings safety and comfort and care there and to really value that and look for that and feel safe there. Obviously with girls it's really easy to talk to their mom that there is something that they would be desperately missing out on if they're not feeling like um, they can do that with Rich. And it's, it takes a little more effort on their part and a little more work and so coaching them into this is how you can sort of broach a subject with dad and helping him on his side be like, and this is how you can really be open to them and just try to help them see you need your dad in your life, speaking into your life, giving you hugs, helping you feel comfortable, helping you feel safe. And that's been uh, a more recent thing. Maybe just one idea. I, I, I am maybe most, yeah, that wouldn't be right. I'm troubled by both. What the culture is doing to um, right expressions of gender. And I, but but I, what I see causing more angst, because little boys 
are content to stay little boys, and that's what the kind of culture expects. So it doesn't necessarily distress them. I think it robs them of a lot of things down the line. But, what, but I, the impact I see on women, I think, is much more present. It's much more heavy. It's the, the way the culture asks women to be men and or to, to compete or that obviously there's incredible strength and incredible value in what women bring to the equation. But why is there competition? Why? And so I, I see that distressing thing. And, the, and for me, what I would love to speak and, and tried to speak through, throughout a time with our daughters was because you're not an authority does not mean you don't have influence. And the greatest way you can express feminine influence is to insist that men exercise their masculine strength. Because if you give them a pass, you're not going to have good life partners. You're going you're gonna to carry the burden if men don't be men. So you have great influence to draw masculine strength out by letting them hope, hold the door open or, or not trying to be in that. I can do that too. Probably you can. But what's the point? Do, you, do, do we want to draw out that God-ordained role, that God-designed role for men to think like protectors and caregivers and overseers? Or do you want them sitting on the couch playing video games while you take care of the family? Because that's the condition of a lot of young marriages. The men are checked out. Nobody said, you need to be a man. Stand up. And women, you have an incredible influence. Not by yelling at them to do it, which is what the world would say, and, and, and the scriptures were born against, you know, nagging and those kind of things. Because what else are you going to do? You can't beat them up most of the time. So what can you do? Well, you can start putting verbal pressure on them rather than say, I'm going to insist you cover me, that you be mindful of me, that you're not in your own little planet. But you see a world where your strength has value. And, and, and that's what I tried to instill. I, we raised all chiefs, got four daughters, one son. They're all really capable. They can all run power tools better than most men in this room. They're very, very, very capable women. Step into college ministry. Dad, they won't lead. Dad, they won't lead. Can I lead? No, honey. Call them to lead you. Call them to lead you. And they started to little bit by little. And we, we want to short circuit it. So I, whatever that looks like for you, in, in your context, to, to call on the feminine to draw masculine strength out of the men around them. Because if you short-circuit it, boys will drift off and remain little boys. So, yeah, I guess I'll touch on daughters. <laughs> and there's so many things that we all could share. And so this is just one point, but... Um, I've really tried to instill in them just um, having control of their thought life, which, which um, radiates out to their emotions and that sort of thing. But I just was struck, I'm struck with um, many older women that I saw ahead of me just in the world that weren't solid and grounded and trusting in the Lord. And I just see it as years of of not keeping your thoughts in check. So uh, that has just been a huge thing that I've passed on, I, I hope I've passed on to my girls, is to just guard their thoughts, to think truth, to think accurate thoughts, and to glorify God with thoughts, and just be rooted in that. Um, 
to grow up, uh, grow into women that are, are solid, and then they're effective for the Lord. I'll say one. Um, I think for, I, I don't know that I have one theme with my sons. I, I think one I would share is just um, with my oldest. Um, he's, he's turning 14 this month, but, um, you know, I, I feel like we've already established a relationship where we're going to be accountability partners on things related to purity and stuff like that. And I just look back to when I was a kid, and my dad and I did not have a relationship like that at all. I, he didn't talk to me, one talk maybe before college, but there was no preparing me for what was lying ahead. And so my son and I started dialoguing from, you know, earlier on just about modesty and things that were on TV and stuff like that. And something was on, we're, we're turning our heads and looking at each other. And, but as it's gone, you know, and he's, his body's starting to change and things are going on in his, his world. And we've been just talking through it as it happens. And um, I think we're just going to, I think we're going to be accountability partners as we go. And I don't know that that's every dad's relationship with their sons, but that's one that I'm, I think I want to walk in, and we've started walking down that. So that's one. Um, when we were praying on Friday, and um, we were just led to think about trusting our husbands and um, to, to let go of fear and all of that, one of the important aspects that I've recently been just really convicted of is the importance of not just submitting and trusting Colin in the decisions that he makes um, for our family and that I choose to, to fall under him in, but to encourage him in that. Um, and that's just recently been something where I've, I've just not uh, stepped up to that place where I get to encourage him and show respect to him by saying, Colin, you've been doing a really great job leading our household in generosity. Colin, you've been doing a really great job helping the young men in our church uh, uh, grow. Uh, and yeah, I, I just want to do better at that. I think that's part of my role as his wife. Um, kind of back to the discussion on dis dialoguing between partners. When those dialogues get heated, <laughs> not that I ever get heated, um, do those conversations happen in front of the children? We had a long history of conflict that uh, shared on stage at some of you, Fort Collins, some elements of. Um, but just being completely opposite people, we've had a lot of conflict over the years. And I'm a person who never lets it go because I want resolve. And where she sometimes would be willing to walk away from it. And I just... I just don't. I follow her and just verbally poke at her. And we had really unhealthy, unhealthy habits about that. I mean, really, really pretty bad. And uh, so our first, our first kid was born, and it, you know, kind of jogs us, and we started partnering a little bit more and dialoguing a little bit more. But I think it probably culminated with Scout. She was born and had a whole bunch of colic, and just basically just we just hit rock bottom. Just in terms of our relationship, everything around us, we had no energy to deal with anything. This little girl is screaming at us 12 hours a day. And, uh, and it just was sort of, we, I remember we, we, somebody was watching the kids and we went for a walk. And it was a long walk. <laughs> and we got done with that walk and it's like, what, whatever we talked about, I and mean, we got some things out on the table and everything, the stuff I was talking about before about being partners, we have the same goal in mind, even though we're opposites. Um, 
it's like it, it started just coming to reality at that point. It's like there was a night and day difference. There's some different prayer things we were doing at the time as well. Um, but the, the question was, do you do that stuff in front of the kids? Because with Sarah and I, it used to escalate, and then it would last for two or three days. And now it, we still escalate really quickly, but it, then it, we suddenly realize what we're doing, and it drops really fast, and the resolution comes sometimes within you know, 30 seconds. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. But we've had some moments more recently as the kids are getting older where they're starting to notice what's going on. For a while, it seemed like they were just sort of oblivious. Like, oh, mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> you know, it didn't, really, it didn't really hit them. But our oldest is very sensitive to it, and he'll, he'll, he'll get really disturbed, right? And, um, and so uh, several years ago, we started kind of noticing this and realizing, okay, if we're going to have a real, we got something we really need to talk about, because, you know, the conflict still happens. We're going to wait till they go to bed, and then we're just going to go for it, because even though sometimes nighttime isn't great for that kind of stuff, it's the only time where the kids are just, like, not around, and it's okay. Um, but I would say maybe the number one thing in that, we do try to avoid it as much as we can, but sometimes it inevitably happens. And this probably goes to some of the early questions, too, just about discipleship and things like that. For us... One of the most important things, I think, in terms of discipleship that we've done with our kids is asking their forgiveness. It's just flat out going, hey, you know what? That was wrong. What you just saw us do is a sin. And I'm, as your dad, on my knees in front of you, my little son, who just got disturbed by this, saying, I just sinned. And I sinned against your mom, and I sinned against you, and it was wrong. And will you forgive me? And that... That right there, like sometimes you're just going to have the conflict. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. We're human beings. We bump up against each other, some of us more than others. Asking forgiveness, admitting when I was wrong. I think it, it just disarms the whole situation. And actually, honestly, that's probably the number one thing I've done with Sarah in our conflict. Do you have anything to add to this? I do. You do? <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> if you know me, I have stuff to say about everything. <laughs> um, our kids are quite sensitive, and sometimes, um, sometimes we're just having a discussion. Like it's, we wouldn't even call it a, an argument, and, and our kids would be like, "Stop arguing!" We're like, "You have no idea." <laughs> but there are times when we're having a discussion, and we can legitimately say we're not mad, we're not really worked up, but it's a discussion. We're having a, a back and forth about what to do about something. And they will say, well, why is that okay for you? And it's not okay for us. Because, you know, when your kids argue, you're like, okay, we need to stop this, apologize, let's move on, you know. And so they will flat out say, why is that okay for you? But you don't let us argue. And so we've had to sit and talk with them about how there are things that are okay as adults and they're not okay for kids. Because as kids, you have much more tendency, not that we never say foolish things, but you have more tendency to just fall into foolishness and say things that will hurt you forever. And as siblings, you didn't choose each other. And so you could grow up and just walk away and never call each other, never see each other. But we, we chose each other. And that means we choose to stay together forever. And that means if we have a thing, then we need to work it out. And sometimes we might sound heated because we feel deeply about it. Sometimes we might feel angry or sad or hurt or whatever. And sadly, that's just a part of life. But it's okay for us and it's not always okay for you. But we've also had discussions, especially with our oldest, about how maybe there are times when we need to 
help you learn to argue and help you learn to like express it better instead of just shutting it down and saying, be done now, apologize and move on, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The argument is sometimes just completely inevitable and it's how you do it and how you, you know, respond to the other person and how you give them. I liked Pat's, Pat's uh, verbiage there with the gospel, seeing the gospel identity there in the other person and honoring that. I think that's, that is a thing. I, I used to think before I got married that you just wouldn't fight. I had that delusion, right? I also used to think there's perfect kids, yep. It's not. This world's really messy and we're fleshly people and we bump up against each other and we're going to argue and a lot of that stuff needs to be put out there and actually talked about. Some people just want to scoop it under the rug and you know just hide it. And it's never healthy to do that. You've got to talk about things. You've got to get it out there. So when you're in front of the kids, try to do it with grace. And honestly, a, another piece of it for me is as we've had some discussions in front of the kids, as they've gotten older and they can kind of comprehend what's going on, sometimes I've invited them into the conversation you know, with fear and trepidation a little bit. Wisely. Wise, yeah, it, you, you pick the moments. I'm never pitting them against her. We're always a, a united front in those moments. <laughs> never, ever, ever. But it has caused some really, really great spiritual conversations with our kids sometimes. It's like, actually, here's what we were talking about. What do you think about it? And they're like, oh, here's what I think we should do. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting perspective, you know. Okay. You guys probably have some thoughts. I would just echo and say amen to what Travis is saying there. Um, obviously, you try not to have conflict in front of your kids. I think there's a grace period when your kids are younger that they just don't probably remember much of that, but I still don't think you want to do it. Um, but, you know, when it happens, I, I do think I agree completely with what Travis does. If, if there's conflict that happens in front of the kids, I think at some point there's a step where you, you resolve it in front of the kids. You seek their forgiveness. You... Um, because the older they get, as they, as they become teens, I think they're more intuitive. They know, they know even if you had a conflict in the bedroom that something happened. And um, but I also think they, you know, it puts them in a situation where they're kind of going, "Well, I'm going to side with dad on this. I'm going to side with mom." And it, it just it plays out, and you go, "Oh, that's not no, that's not what we want our kids doing." So I think trying to, um, yeah, trying not to have conflict in front of them or, and seeking forgiveness when we do, I think is what we aim for as well. What, what I'd love for, to maybe just hand at the end of this is you are teaching them things even as you have conflict. I'm not sure we have to argue. We probably will because we're human. I'm not sure that we should just say, oh, of course we'll have arguments. But you will have conflict. And, and, and that, that's allowed. That, that's okay. Um, and you are teaching them how to do that well. And I appreciate what Travis was even just sharing there. You are teaching them how to communicate what is important to them in a way that's respectful and safe and relational. So there are skills to hand them as you walk through that. Um, and, and the confession and forgiveness and assertiveness, those are all tools we want to be modeling to some degree before our kids. So even if you have to go in the room and argue, I wouldn't be opposed to coming back out. Hey, kids, we want, to wa you, we want you to watch us walk through confession and forgiveness and just let them watch you so that they get the resolution and they're learning the skill at the same time. So 
really quick, uh, hopefully this is a quick question, um, it, although it has multiple parts. Um, so um, the first thing, um, something that, that I've, I, I feel like I've gone through in the last uh, few years of, of, of my life and, and, and our lives together is um, just like major, major struggles with health and with um, with uh, fertility and for, with dealing with all of these 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 things, and um, it's very easy for me to come to these kind of things and to go, yeah, I, I totally get it. But honestly, um, in the midst of a struggle, it's easier to just say, you know what, like I'm done. I'm I'm so done with this. I'm done with trusting in God and saying I trust God because honestly why why would I there's been no proof that I should like zero and I I get I get through it and I get through it and I get through it and 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 like I know in my head that I should and I know that and like there's good days and there's bad days but then just understanding like all of that, and then from my perspective, um, how do I not, A, how do I, like, how do, we, how do you deal with that? Um, I think uh, I, I very much relate to the idea of, like, oh, I was, I felt like I kind of went up a little bit, and then I got smashed down even further, and I thought that was as far as I could go, but then I got smashed down even further than that. Um, and then how do I not compare myself against somebody else? Um, so somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've got like these, these issues and I, I'm kind of sitting there thinking to myself, man, you have no idea. Like it's not even close. Um, and, and so um, I guess those are, those are my questions. Uh, I, I realize that's more of a statement, but um, yeah. I feel your pain, brother. Um, that's a long answer. Um, time change is getting to me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, that's a long, uh, that's a long conversation. Um, why should you keep doing it? Why should you keep making the right choice? Um, we, we really have to have an eternal perspective. Um, the verse that John shared, um, if, if we're just doing this for this life, uh, we should be pitied by all men. Um, uh, just when you, yeah, when you don't think you can go any lower, God shoves you down even farther. Um, I definitely felt like that, um, a lot and, um, and, and I do feel like, um, there, there was a genuine desire for me to really want to get close to God and then. When my trial started in El Paso, it was kind of like, okay, I don't want to get close to God because um, I don't want to trust you because of what's going through, what you're putting me through. If if you are, if you are sovereign and and in control of everything, things could be different. And where I think the trial comes in is that we we have a lot of we have a lot of junk, kind of in the way of our relationship with God, and we have to go through that trial. Um, so God can kind of help clean that back, clean that out of the way so that we can get closer to God. And it took me a really long time, 
um, to get back to a point where I, I think I can trust God again. And, um, and still, even to this day, my, my prayer life is completely different. There's, there's a lot of things I have a, lot of, I have a really hard time praying for. Um, there's still a lot of prayer verses I struggle with that I have to, um, I, you know, I can read them. I go, I, yeah, I don't know if that's really that true. Um, there's a still wrestle there. I think that's right where God wants me. He wants me to wrestle that through. He wants me to wrestle that with him. And um, But there was many, many days I asked the same questions. What's the point? This is stupid. Um and in in the end, I, c- I can look back at those seven or eight years, and I'm 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 thankful that God took me through that. I'm I'm very thankful to be on my way out of that, but I'm very thankful um, to have gone through that. Um, it, it's it's given me a completely completely different faith um, that I have now. Um, but it is, it's, it's really hard, but, um, there, there are just a few truths to hang on to that God is good. Um, I would just say that a lot. Say, okay, God, and I, I know you're good. There's a lot of times I didn't believe it, but I kept telling myself God's good and God's good. God's good. Um, and and then there's a lot of times, um, and Renee and I still do this even today, when, when we're really kind of feeling maybe a little bit distant from God or we're feeling, and we just really need to pick, pick me up here or something, we just always ask God for a sign of his goodness. Um, God, I, I just need a sign of your goodness today. I'm just having um, some discouraging stuff here with our kids or whatever it is, I, I just need a sign of your goodness. And most of the time God's been faithful just to put something in front of us that day that just says that that he is he's good and um, I'm believing that what happens here on earth when I get to heaven um, I, I, I love the song Amazing Grace because it says when you've been there 10,000 years you have no less days. What we do here will matter in 10,000 years in heaven. I'm really believing that. And the, the things that happen to us, the things that we persevere through will matter when we get to heaven. And when we cross that finish line and we get, a, get that hug from Jesus, and get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, that's our hope. Um, so do you guys have a way that you, like, do you have any recommendations for tag time with kids? Tag yeah. time? Yep. Like, do you have any recommendations for limits or not doing anything at all? Like, how do you guys deal with it? question was, do you have limits on tech time? How do you deal with tech with kids? Um... Well, our kids won't be getting smartphones till they're probably 18, 30, 30, 
40. It's interesting when you look up you look up the reality with dopamine and look at the similarities to that and and alcohol and other drugs and what just what it does to the brain. You know, the, our our culture is at least wise enough to not hand unlimited alcohol to people under 21. And there's actually advocates out there that are advocating for people under 21 not being allowed to have social media, smartphones. Simply because there's a similar thing going on in the brain, they're actually correlating now and figuring out, man, this is actually causing just brain trauma, you know, that, that manifests itself in depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, because their, their brains are developing. Kids' brains are developing. We need to be highly sensitive to the fact that the kids' brains are developing, and this can really, really mess with them. You know, there's, there's been studies that any screen time at all under age two is a huge detriment. Like, they can correlate it to lower IQ later on. Any, I mean, that's, that's even like educational games on an iPad, any screen time. There's a study that I read about a year ago where they, um, they gave these little kids, toddlers, uh, it's like a, a blocks game, kind of Lego blocks, building a game on iPad. And then they had the same blocks in the real world like 3D that they could actually play with. And so they got them to, so there are experts on the iPad, the tablet, playing this game, and then they put them in the real world with the real 3D blocks, and the skill set didn't transfer over at all. So anybody tells you about, you know, skill sets transferring into the real world, it's just simply not true. So we have to approach it very sober-mindedly. I'm really grateful for what my parents did, where they threw out the television before I was even born. And I didn't grow up watching TV at all. I mean, I played outside and chased elk around in the woods and built stuff. And I don't feel like I had a detriment. In fact, I was able to read more books most, than most of my peers, you know, and just, just, just stuff like that. When I look back on it, I don't see a negative downside. I didn't have video games. You know, Nintendo and, you know, Atari was out probably by the time I was a toddler. The original Nintendo came out while I was in elementary school, and all my friends had them. You know, and those are just like silly little games compared to what exists today, right? But that was another thing. Even though we had a computer, there weren't any games on it. There were never games on it. And, and according to my dad back in the day, which I'm really, really grateful for because he was kind of setting a trend for my own life, it's like this is not constructive. This is not going to help your brain. This is passive intake. And it's just like opiates or anything else. It just sort of just numbs you to what's true and what's real and what's right. Um, so with our kids, we have, we have a couple iPads, they're like first generation iPads, and they get an iPad time, which is about 15 minutes on a Friday. As, is it 45 minutes now? It used to be about 15 minutes. It's growing, we need to monitor their intake. <laughs> but they only, they only get that, and it's like these little, little games and stuff. It's definitely not every day. Definitely not, definitely not. So, so one day a week, and that's only if they've been good. And there's a reality there where it's weird to watch their behavior sometimes because they'll sit there and they'll play the game and they'll start squabbling and you'll start seeing fighting. and It's like it's changing how they're thinking, right? And so I just don't really see any constructive value in any screen time really at all. We don't watch movies. They, I mean, they can count the movies they've seen on one hand at this point. Um, and I'm excited for later on. What we did when I was growing up, my dad did cultural literacy night where once a week we would watch a movie when I, I was probably 13 when we started that. He'd rent classics and we'd make popcorn and make this big family thing. We'd actually act actively have discussion about culture after that to analyze the movie. Nothing passive about it. And I, I fully intend on doing stuff like that with my kids. Um, but I think one thing I really 
I really feel strongly about is if they're bored, if it's in the car, if you're waiting at the doctor's office, things like that, um, I don't just want to hand them a screen. I'll have them bring a book, bring some something to do that's creative. Um, this, there's a whole lot of other thoughts on that, but those are kind of the big things, the big rocks. Um, I, I just think as far as the tech, I mean, we have boundaries and stuff, and our boundaries might be different than other people's boundaries. I think that's a good one to, as for me and my house, you know, and, and you have people in your world that you go, I like the outcome they're getting, what would you suggest? You know, I think there's, but we do have just try to set boundaries on whether it's games or even if it's tied to, um, you know, obedience or things like like you you lose privileges if you're not getting your chores done or you're not doing. And so we have some some tech things there, and and just even whether it's you know not TV or uh, Netflix or whatever programs that we have that we've talked to the kids that hey you can watch these because we know what's in them, but. Um, I do think that's one that probably might vary some from house to house, but I, I do think there's a lot of resources to draw. And I think we, you know, uh, I think Travis gave us some good things to think about. We, one of the games the kid, kids play is, I think it's called uh, Dopamine Blasters or something like that. And so we're going to have to, uh, we'll have to rethink that It has one. the opposite effect. <laughs> they don't want to play it. <laughs> But, you know, I think there's things, one of the things we've thought about a little more maybe different than even just the time spent there is some of those games, if they're networked, they allow you access to different people that you have no idea who they are. And I yep. think we have coached in, like, you know, we've got cousins or we've got people that we know are on certain things that we know those people. And, um, but, but I do think we have, we have some boundaries. And after this time here, those boundaries might change a little as well. So. And in our world, it's a privilege earned. It's not a right. So it's 100% a privilege earned. It's only on the weekends, but it's not a given. Um, it has to be that they've earned the privilege to play. And I think even like Travis was saying about the I'm bored. I mean, I've started talking. Them to work when they say that. Yeah, we, we usually go, I, I can keep I've you from being. You. Let's sell all your things because yeah. obviously they're not entertaining you. Yeah, exactly. Well, we that's go on a, purges and send things we, to Goodwill. We do that. We have that dialogue. I'm bored means... I'm not thankful for what I currently have, so I, I start saying, well, which one of these do you want to take off that tablet? And all of a sudden, they're, they're less bored than they thought they were. You know? <laughs> so, um, but, but we probably can raise the bar, even on the boundaries we currently have, is, is what I'm thinking. But I, I'm not going to bring that up to my wife quite yet, because uh, <laughs> we have to process. <laughs> okay, we are going to... We've uh, got one more question. Oh, no. She's tried twice. Alyssa's got... Oh, no. I guess my question was just about discipling. Uh, when um, you're thinking of yourself as a disciple, when you have small children, was there a shift in like, okay, we can actually do stuff outside of our house? Or when, because I feel like I get conflicting. Even though you have small kids, you should be reaching out to your neighbors. You should be doing things. Or no, no, your kids are your disciples right now fully. And so I just, I struggle with like a balance in that. And just wondering if there's like a, shift or what the wisdom is with that as you as a personal disciple also trying to disciple your kids and making sure you're not too busy for them with other good discipling things um i i didn't do this amazing but i you definitely was at home with my kiddos and i unloaded the dishwasher and they did the silverware i mean we just did things uh in the day-to-day -day, but that also that didn't mean that I just closed in and that I wasn't um, 
um, having outside relationships. I didn't do a lot of play dates. I had a lot of kids all at once. I didn't do play dates. That was just hard. <laughs> but we did have a small group every week. And so those were my gals that I spent time with. And I'd multiply my time by, hey, I'm going here. Do you want to come with me? We can take the kids here. If it was something I was already doing. Um, and I just learned that in those early years of, of some of you just watching those other moms. Um, so the idea was just to multiply my time. Something I was already doing, I did it with someone. But otherwise, I was at home with, with my kids. because I And I wasn't an out-and-about person anyway. So anyway, I don't know if that helps. I have a quick I know thought. you have thoughts. <laughs> I, I was going to give it back to you. Cause oh, well, <laughs> I learned this from Travis. He's very good at this. It will be different for everyone. And that's okay. Um, I, I learned to ask him. If I felt like, I don't know, should I take this on? Is this a person I should be building into? Am I doing a good job, like, prioritizing the kids? Am I, you know, am I over-prioritizing? You know, I learned to ask him because... He often had a good pulse on the overall picture, more than I did, because I, I get real mired down in the details of, like, you know, my day-to-day -day of, like, changing diapers and stuff. So I learned to ask him, and he's, Travis's whole thing in life is just, there's just grace. I mean, it can look different, and it can be different seasons. It can be, you know for a month, it can be for a year, it can be for 10 years. It, it might just be different. There might be times where he was like, no, I, I need you to focus on the kids. I think, you know, those women are great. I, I would really like you to focus on the kids right now. And there were other seasons where he's like, no, I, I think that woman is really important. I, I want you to spend time there. And so, but it can be different for everyone. So I, I don't know if there's a real answer, but lean on your husband. 